HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. This is Deborah, and this is Greenhorns Radio, and it is May. It's still May. It's still beautiful. And even in Vermont, my God, it's it's already spring in Vermont, too. How are you doing, Joe? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm on the tail end of 15 days on the road in Texas and Colorado and everywhere. <laughs> but um, I'm on my way home, slowly. What have you been up to? Um, all the same madness as ever today. I'm actually in Burlington finishing some deliveries, and so I'm taking this call by Perkins Pier, looking out on a sunlit Lake Champlain over at the Adirondacks. And so I'm very happy to call. Hi. So let's do a little little background for our folks. What does this mean, bean yep. crafters? Do you make coffee or... or um? What is this? Right. Fair enough. Right. So we chose the word crafters um, very intentionally, derived from old word crafting to make um, with skill and implicitly with care. And so we take beans, not of a coffee origination, but more of um, a fasciolus vulgaris. We take edible dry beans um, that are grown in the region and um, turn them into value-added products as well as just um, sell them as is, whether it's shelling beans or dry beans. Basically try to get people um, to interface with soil-building, plant-based proteins um, 
in as many different ways as possible and in a way that's kind of um as often as possible unexpected and ideally always joyful well i think you have i do have so you have surpassed you have surpassed your own modesty joe makes these amazingly badass bean cookies and bean burgers and bean crack that is all organic and all local and groovy everything and also just is like amazing your bean stuff is amazing yeah I'm glad you dig that. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to make, and since um, you have the choice to make stuff that either tastes good or doesn't, it seems more sensible to make stuff that tastes good and is more enjoyable. And we tried, um, basically, we make, we I, I chose this path through life because I couldn't, um, you know, I had worked on a half dozen different farms and was gradually coming to the realization that I was not in a position, nor would I be anytime soon, to be able to afford to access land or the means with which to make that land productive. So value-added products were, for me, the lowest cost entry point to be um, an active participant in the food system. Um, oh, so four okay. years later, we're just getting around to considering ourselves viable candidates for getting on some land sometime in the next 18 months, hopefully. Now, um, so... You're good at business, and beyond just cooking, uh, it seems like a really solid tactic for other farmers to know about um, is what you are describing here, this tactic of building a business around value closer to the consuming end and with a very strong cash flow model in and out. Let's talk about your business and how it's scaling and, and how that sets you up for the next phase. Right. So I think um, hard to speak to this laconically, but I'll do my best. So there's... Um, from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So looking around, I realized um, there's a lot of things that either weren't getting made or weren't getting made um, in terms of products out on the marketplace um, that either weren't getting made at all locally or um, if they were available, weren't being made um, at a caliber that people were maybe um, hoping for or expecting. So we kind of um, were looking around and finding out where we could kind of um, dovetail in with some of those low-hanging fruit opportunities. And um, for us, a, you know, a blackening burger, a veggie burger was kind of commonsensical because all the ones out there throughout the course of the late 90s and early 2000s had um, anyone that was doing anything that was relatively meaningful um, at scale got bought up by Kraft and Kellogg's and ConAgra and stuff like that. So there was um, not much going on there. Um, And what I also realized was that not a single restaurant nor any farm um, that had a kitchen was using their kitchen to capacity. So it seemed like a natural thing, like instead of trying to just like have all these... um, little pockets of people trying to create something from scratch to just kind of approach things a little bit more collaboratively. And so in that same breath, that's kind of the undercurrent philosophy that we try to do with every aspect of the business. Like no kitchens being used to full capacity, no no harvest even of any single crop is used to full capacity. So we use, we place standing orders for, you know, all the seconds that certain farms can generate and try to come up with efficient means of, um, you know, keeping those coming in each week and making sure that 
we're not overwhelmed, but at the same time that we take as much as possible um, and try to make it um, give a fair market price for those seconds so that we're able to get a deal on local organic produce that's competitive with stuff that would be conventional through a generic distributor. And meanwhile, we're also able to help boost the per acreage economic yields of um, the growers that we work with. And um, and then in that same breath, you know, early on, the farm that I was working at, um, Boardman Hill Farm in West Rutland, gave us the opportunity to both grow some of what we wanted to on his land and use of a tractor and all this stuff, but as well as access to a kitchen that we were able to modify and make a viable commercial kitchen. And in that same breath, we tried to make that synergistic. And because we weren't um, much with cash, we did have more time than money. So I traded um, for my rent. I would set up his Friday farmer's market for him. You know, so over the course of the month, that was saving him hundreds of dollars in labor. Um, and we paid our propane bill, um, and stuff like that, but we, we kind of just had an open conversation and talked about what we could do and um, find ways to work around what we couldn't do. And that kind of extended into my personal life, too, to where I realized I wasn't really on the fast track to um, a, a cash-intensive um, livelihood. You know, I wasn't on Wall Street, so I made sure that over the past few years that um, my lifestyle kind of honored the pragmatic restrictions that the path that I was on um, dictated. Basically, I wasn't going to make a lot of money, so I wanted to make sure that I could live a life where I didn't need to spend a lot of money and could really enjoy myself in the process. I also realized that I wasn't going to be able to spend as much time in the fields as I wanted to, so I made sure that um, I could, at least in the background in my home life, spend time learning from the soil because um, I didn't want to forsake years that I was growing the kitchen side of things and completely become disconnected from the soil. So I spent the last few years um, on different farms doing work trade for those farms for a place to stay. And as such, I've only I've been able to only spend you know a couple thousand dollars over the course of years um, on rent, which translates directly to money that I was able to leave in bean crafters, um, so that from a cash flow perspective, we didn't need to take on um, any large amounts of debt to get to where we are now. Um, so we were able to grow at a faster rate and with a better um, debt-to-income ratio than most other small enterprises that I've seen try to make it. So far, so good. So that was, that, Opportunities that was, that was, in Jamoos. What's next? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we've been at this. So we're in our fourth year, and we've doubled our gross each year, which more fun than thinking about doubling our gross is doubling the amount of um, pounds of food from the local soils that people have been eating. And so we're at a point now where I'm really psyched where when, when I stop and think about it, there's actually people that I never get to meet, literally hundreds of them sit down and eat stuff that we've played a hand in bringing together. And that feels really good. And so looking forward, um, I'm trying to find ways to kind of take our proof of concept, which I feel like we're just kind of getting to that proof of concept. Point. We're like, right, this works. People like what we do. It's uh, economically viable what we do, so how can we do it consistently? How can we do it increasingly better? And how can we do things that are more of the same? So, so we were just talking about what's next, and I wanted to make sure to remind you about your guidance, to give your guidance to those who are thinking in terms of pickled sauce and hot sauce, jam and jelly, and ginger snap cookies, uh, to consider the 
school system and institutional buyers and maybe reflect a little bit on how that has been a part of your growth strategy and your approach to those kinds of buyers. And, of course, it helps that you're in Vermont where everything um, comes up roads all the time. But uh, go for that maybe for a little while. Okay, that was a little, um, you, but I think I understood you to, you want me to speak to a little bit about the focus on um, schools and institutional buyers and us focusing on that, right? Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah. So, um, when I'm, so there's a pragmatic level and a, and a value-based model to us focusing on um, institutions. One is, um, the amount of energy it goes into setting up a new account and forming a meaningful relationship um, isn't that much different from an independent grocer to, um, I don't know, school or hospital. There's certain level of logistical considerations, I don't know, and insurance umbrellas and things like that, but all that doesn't make too big of a difference at the end of the year. And so I realized, like, right, oh, man, I really want to use my time um, as well as possible. I, I need to probably have some of these more creative conversations, but I also wasn't in a position to really have those conversations until a couple of years and until we kind of perfected our processes through um, that slow, steady growth of adding independent food co-ops and restaurants one by one for a while there. Now we're at a point where, you know, we have this great kitchen that we can use, the Mad River Food Hub and Wage Show. That's been um, ginormous for us. I think the Food Hub model is something that's going to play a bigger and bigger role and the local agriculture economy moving forward. And so with uh, the Abbott capacity for both storage and processing that food that offers us, made all the sense in the world necessary um, to institutions. And the institutions, I mean, were really fortunate. If we were trying to do this 10 years ago, it would be a much more uphill battle. But they were, um, you know, they're, they're eager for opportunities to start educating. They're offering their um, teachers already with, Better chasing, more nutritious, more soulful, more local, more organic, whenever possible. And um, so we're in this fortunate position where it's maybe the first time in who knows how long where we look at a company like us as uh, a toolkit or a box of solutions. And so we, instead of just approaching them and we're like, hey, we make all this stuff, you should buy it, and you're a bad person if you don't, kind of approach them like, so these are some things that we do, but it's not the limit of what we can do. What are you feeling like you need the most? And trying to structure it like that and through conversations like that, I realized like, cool, we got some people that are buying black bean burgers, some people are looking kind of like a rejiggered um hummus or a falafel or something like that. But lots of people just want beans, whether they're dry or just like cooked beans and so we we cut this product now really I don't know if you can even call it product, but um this concept that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of myself of I was talking to Fletcher Allen Hawking at the base hospital in Vermont, and they wanted just some cooked off beans, you know? And to get off, we've got a number of time cans, so we found a BPA-free bucket. We don't have any sodium. We don't have any preservatives. We call it a camping tub, and it's local organic type beans. And because we don't have, you know, a crazy amount of labor in it, we're just putting off beans, and, you know, uh, they're able to more readily integrate local beans into their um, offerings, and they serve a lot of them. You know, it's to be, oh, I should just know some earlier today, too, to talk about this more, you know, a few different varieties of beans and ultimately thousands of, of pounds of dry beans that they're going to be able to integrate 
um, into their offerings that they wouldn't have earlier because they're not set up necessarily to cook with dry beans. They do cook with some dry beans, but um, there's certain menu offerings or certain subsite kitchens, most satellite kitchens that aren't in a position to do that. So um, by having an open conversation and not just trying to play the role of a salesperson um, and make it more about um, relationship building, we were able to just in a very easy way, and the way that really works for us and with our production of the lab, we that to um, wrestling um, a few times more um, by being into one account that um, otherwise we might not be able to use them. And that model, once we figure out what works for one place, it's to work for other places. So um, that same conversation is now being had at um, colleges and things like this. And at one point, we considered, like, oh, right. Um, we're getting pans. Everyone's, no one's using dry beans. Everyone's using pans. Should we just start canning? Should we start a cannery? Like, who's, who's making candy and stuff like that? How do we do that? And then I researched it. It's just incredibly energy intensive, incredibly expensive, um, really dangerous, and um, consequential from a food safety standpoint, a liability standpoint. And it's just like, it's just too complicated. Let's just put beans and put them in buckets and smoke fresh. You know, you still got to drop the temperatures fast and all, but it's real easy to do that. So, um, Trying to always default towards collaboration and also the simplest possible means of um, getting people to keep the stuff that's worth eating. Has this this point of just aggregating into a viable business somehow? So we haven't got much time left, and I want to make sure that you don't forget to remind all of our listeners um, who are waiting on their hands and just panting with excitement to get out of New York City where they're listening to this podcast and up to Vermont to attend your upcoming fiesta. So to let us have oh, right it on. in not very not very many too long. Okay. Yeah, so May 27th, Memorial Day weekend at North Farm in Lake Vermont, we're putting on an heirloom bean and wine pairing. On a great, great bean pairing. Um, it's going to be a lot of music um, for heirloom bean pairing to four different wines, some local, some from within your ever met in Italy, and uh, I think it's the first time this sort of thing ever happened, and our mutual good friend Ripley is going to be making some art. There'll be some epic silent auction stuff that includes art and local food offerings, um, and hopefully it'll be an annual event, and hopefully you guys can get part of the inaugural version of this event. Oh, and I'm coming! I'm coming! I'm so excited! And all proceeds basically are going to fall directly into the equipment um, that we need to bring the stable food economy in Vermont to the next level. That's kind of the idea. So, again, going through that base model, it's giving like community an opportunity to vote with their feet and their dollars and their taste buds for um, stuff that's worth having in the agricultural system. And one last plug also for the Solstice party at the Keysville Grange. Keysville Grange, that's one of the six granges of the Adirondacks. It's actually the most beautiful one. It's built out of granite stone on the hill above the Osable River. Right across from a factory that makes horse nails or used to make horse nails. Where Eric Andrews of the Vermont Sale Project will be making a presentation there about the Vermont Sale Project, which those of our loyal listeners, we had a lot of good feedback about his interview. And hopefully, Joe will be there. Ripley will definitely be there. Okay. Lots of things. Check it out. Um, I just posted the invitations to the blog today. So thank you all for a great radio, and I'll see you next weekend, Joe.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.